0: We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 2 and verse number 1 for the message in a moment. uh, In this hour, Matthew, the Gospel, chapter number 2 okay now i want to speak to you from the text uh, in verse number 11 and when they were come into the house they saw the young child with mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him and when they had opened their treasures they presented him with gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh now note those last uh, three words gold frankincense, and myrrh, brought to our our Savior by the wise men as they sought out the Christ of God. Now we read in verse number one, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the day of Herod the king, or Herod the Roman governor, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem because they didn't know that he was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. The only information they had was that he'd be born in the land of Israel. These wise men have always been a very interesting uh, persons to me as I've studied the Bible. Uh, We usually uh, say there were three wise men, but actually we don't know that to be a fact. There were three gifts that were brought, gold and frankincense and myrrh. but we don't know that there were three wise men. There could have been uh, far more. There could have been a dozen of them. Uh, instead of three and having traveled all the miles from the East ancient Babylon and Persia uh, to Israel implies that there were more in the company than just three it took no doubt a long time several months maybe to make this trip across the uh, the uh, uncharted deserts uh, from uh, Persia uh, the Far East and toward the Far East to Judea and that would imply that uh, there were more than three in the company take a lot of provisions, a lot of goods, a lot of food, a lot of clothing, and there was extra uh, camels, no doubt, in the caravan, except the three that these men, if there were only three, rode upon. There were other camels, no doubt, that carried the goods, and probably servants, maybe a rather large company that made that long trip, having seen the star in the east. They make that their way from the east to Jerusalem. And having arrived at Jerusalem, they say, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. We have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. Now I think it might do us good to think a moment about how these uh, men, whether there were three or half a dozen, we're not sure, but how did they know the significance of that star that they'd seen in the east, and HOW DID THEY KNOW THAT THIS ONE BORN WAS INDEED THE KING OF THE JEWS? AND WHY DID THEY COME TO WORSHIP HIM? THEY HAD THEIR OWN RELIGIONS, THEY WERE PAGAN PEOPLE, THE PERSIAN AND BABYLONIAN PEOPLE WERE PAGAN PEOPLE, THEY DID NOT WORSHIP THE GOD OF ISRAEL, A JEHOVAH GOD, THEY DIDN'T KNOW JEHOVAH GOD, AND YET HERE ARE SOME NATIVE MEN OF PERSIA COMING ALL THE WAY ACROSS THE DESERT, MAYBE FIVE, SIX, SEVEN HUNDRED MILES. Uh, to Jerusalem, but because they knew the significance of that star, and because they knew that he born was the King of the Jews, and because they had come deliberately and premeditatedly to worship this one born King of the Jews. Now there had to be something in the back, had to be something in their past, had to be something in their background that would have prompted these wise men to these three tremendous conclusions. Now the secret is Daniel the prophet, Daniel lived about 600 years while Lord was born and Daniel was alive when uh, the people of Israel were carried away into the Babylonian exile and the Babylonian captivity and Daniel was one of the Jews carried away from Israel to ancient Babylon as a young man many, many years ago, you find the story Of that in Daniel chapter 1 and 2, Daniel's prophecy chapter 1 and 2, just a young man when he was carried away. You remember how he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, were fair to look upon and they were selected by the king uh, to, uh, to, uh, to wait on the king's table and so on. Just a young man and they were selected to be a servant in the palace of the ancient king of Babylon. But Daniel was a prophet of God, a faithful prophet of God and was faithful in all his worship though he was transplanted away from his natural environment, and his natural environment was the people of Israel, and his natural religious uh, environment would have been the worship of Jehovah God, and though he's taken away from all of that, he did not cease in his loyalty, nor cease in his duty, nor cease in his praying, even though he was a long way from home, home and among a pagan people. Most of us understand the story of how Daniel prayed Three times every day, opening his window toward Jerusalem and praying. Even though the decree of the king had said, if any man pray to any other god except the god of the Persians, he's to be cast into a den of lions. And yet Daniel prayed uh, to his own god publicly three times a day, and they arrested him and cast him into a den of lions, or the lion's den. And you know the story—a tremendous story of deliverance God provided for Daniel. But he was faithful in all the, uh, his worship, in all of his devotions. Now that kind of a man, uh, you just don't uh, don't turn his kind of religion on and off like you turn a light switch on. You can be sure that Daniel was a zealous and a faithful witness, uh, even among the pagan people that he now finds himself uh, in their midst in that exile period and no doubt made converts, and while he was in exile by the way, he wrote the famous Daniel prophecy that we have in our Bible, 12 tremendous chapters written uh, while he was in exile. The only book I know of in the Bible written uh, that far away from the land of Judea is the uh, prophecy of Daniel. Now don't you well know that uh, that prophecy written in exile uh, found its way into the hands of many Babylonians? and many persons. And don't you know that the faithful devotion of, of Daniel is a striking witness to Jehovah God and to the truth of God's word among those people uh, with whom he now lives in exile, no doubt. And I'm of the opinion these wise men that make the journey 600 years later, after Daniel is dead, 600 years later, they still have that scroll, no doubt, of, of Daniel's prophecy. That's why they thought the Christ was going to be born in Jerusalem. Had they had the prophecy of Micah, they would have known that the Christ would have been born in Bethlehem of Judea, but they only had Daniel's prophecy. And so they knew from the truth they had, and from the uh, teaching of Daniel, and from the instruction of Daniel in his lifetime, and from the converts of Daniel, that no doubt Daniel made. I can't conceive of a prophet uh, of Daniel's magnitude and, and Daniel's statue, living 70 years in exile without having some convert. I could not imagine one of you being exiled into a prison or exiled into some other country without uh, making a real effort to gain a convert. And you can be sure that Daniel had converts. And to me, these are the sons of Daniel's converts. Yet serving God, Though they are not Jews, though they only have one book out of 66 that you and I enjoy, yet they they know about that God, they remember the instruction of Daniel about that God, and no doubt Daniel faithfully instructed them not only about God but about Abraham and about Moses and about Jacob and about Joseph. And all those that went on before and about King David that went on before Daniel uh, lived. Daniel lived about 600 B.C. David lived about 1,000 B.C. Moses about 1,400 B.C. And Daniel was faithful in telling these, uh, exi- these people in his exile about the great patriarchs of the Bible. And so they were rather well instructed. And when the star appeared in the east, not in Jerusalem, But in the east they saw that star, and when the star appeared, they knew immediately the significance of that star. Now, in our day, some folk would frown upon uh, you and me looking so for signs, you know. Uh, Actually, there's some fundamentalists in our day that frown upon any kind of signs, and they say there are no signs of the second coming of our Lord. I don't accept that. I believe there are certain signs that be upon us now that point to the soon second advent. Now this is the first advent that we're talking about in Matthew 2. But you and I now are upon the threshold of a second advent of this same Jesus. And just as there was a sign given to these believers in ancient Babylon, the star they saw in the east... Just as they recognize the significance of that sign, so you and I, in our day, with 66 books in our hand, find certain signs that we can look for, and we do look for, and all along we see certain signs that are clearly an indication of the soon second advent of our Lord back to this earth. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think it's foolish at all for man to watch for the signs. I would not indict these wise men, in fact the Bible calls them wise and they saw a sign. Now if a a man was wise having seen a sign B.C., then I think a man is wise having seen a sign A.D., you see, and uh, prompting ourselves through that sign and obeying that sign and watching for things to happen according to that sign, you see. And so they saw the sign uh, in the east, and they've come to worship him. These are the converts of Daniel. That's an astounding thing. Now, we get the idea when you read about the wise men that they were magicians, that they were soothsayers, that they were men of magic, and that they were worldly wise men. Now, as far as I'm concerned, the word wise there doesn't mean uh, that they sat on the faculty of the University of Babylon. I think the word wise means that they were wise under salvation. And they'd found their way to an old-fashioned mourner's bench somewhere along the way. Now, the wise man to me is not necessarily the doctor on the university faculty. But the wise man to me is a man who believes the scriptures without any doubt. And if you make the wise men in this verse mean that they were worldly wise, then you take from the glory of the story. I think they were wise in spiritual matters. I think they were wise in the grace of God. I think they were wise in the word of God. And I don't think the Bible used the word wise uh, in any other way in relation to these men, except they were wise toward God. Now, all of you that are saved are wise toward God. Now, you might not be counted wise by the standard of the world but if you're wise enough to repent of your wicked sin and come to receive the lord jesus then you're wise toward god you see and so these men are wise men from the east not magicians not magic men not mysterious men not uh, uh soothsayers uh, sorcerers not at all as far as i'm concerned these men that sought the savior having seen the star in the east were wise in that they knew Jehovah God as their God. Like Ruth, your God shall be my God. And where thou lodgest, I want to lodge. Where thou diest, I want to die. Ruth was a Moabite, a Gentile, and yet she embraced the God of Naomi. Now these wise men were not Jews. They were Gentiles, and yet they embraced the God of Daniel. In that degree, they're wise men, you see. And so you get the idea out of your head that they were some kind of magic men. Some kind of miracle performers uh, uh, doing miracles by the powers of the underworld. They're not that at all. In my thinking, they were down to earth, sensible, reasonable, rational believers as you and I are. I can't conceive of a magic man making that long trip. Only because he saw a star, an unusual star in the sky. Magic men would not do that. Magic men would have to stay at their job to make a living deceiving people. They couldn't get away from it long enough to make that long trip. Here are men that were sold out to faith. Here are men that were willing to sacrifice any price or any demand in order to find this Christ that that star was symbolic of. And so they left everything. That sounds like believers. That sounds like a missionary. That sounds like an evangelist. A man that will be willing to leave everything and find that star. I marvel at the sacrifice of God's people. I I resent some people comparing the sacrifice of communists with the sacrifice of Christians. As far as I'm concerned, the most sacrificing people that have ever lived in all history are those called to serve the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah. They make a sacrifice. I think of the missionaries right now while we are preparing to uh, to, uh, enjoy ourselves who are on the other side of the world who would love to have the privilege but duty called. And they're going to discharge their duty regardless of their personal feelings. That's sacrifice to me. And God's people have always been famous for that, you see. So here are some men that made the sacrifice of that long journey. Depriving themselves of their family or their wealth and going to the expense uh, whatever it might have amounted to. To have made that long journey because they were believers in Jesus Christ our Lord. And they knew that that star was symbolic of he that was to be born, the King of the Jews. And so when they arrived in Jerusalem, they said, where is he that is born King of the Jews? But we've come, having seen his star in the east, we've come uh, to worship him, born King of the Jews. Now when Herod, and these wise men evidently went right headquarters upon arriving at jerusalem when herod heard these things he was troubled and all jerusalem was troubled with him and when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the of the jews the people together uh, herod demanded of these religious leaders these chief priests where the christ the messiah should be born what does the bible say about it now they said unto him he is to be born in Bethlehem of Judea for thus it is written by the prophet Micah and so it was and he is to be born in Bethlehem of Judea then they quote the scripture and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule over my people Israel now there's the prophecy so he's to be born in Bethlehem and then Herod Uh, when he had privately called the wise men uh, who had come and knocked on his door all the way from ancient Babylon and Persia, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem on their journey to find this child. Go, he said, and search diligently for the young child. And when thou hast found him, bring me again word that I may come and worship worship him also. Now here's a contrast that I want you to note. Here are wise men who out of a sincere heart go to any cost to worship God. But here's a hypocrite in verse 7 who want to harm and destroy the Messiah. The wise men are real and genuine in their devotion and in their faith. While Herod uh, is a schemer and a conniver and not a, a, a bit of genuineness about him at all. Herod only wants to destroy the Christ of God. He has no intention of bowing to worship him also. And when they had heard the the king, they departed. And lo, the star which uh, they saw in the east. Now evidently this star had been a constant guide and companion to the wise men along that long trip, 500, 600 miles across the desert. And the star which they saw in the east went before them now that they've arrived in Judah and uh, came and stood over where the child was. Now, if you'll stop for a moment and think, though this is a miracle, no doubt. Jesus' life is a miracle life. But this had been done before. You remember in the wilderness wandering how the Lord guided his people in the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And you remember how the people of Israel only moved their camp when God moved the pillar of fire or moved the pillar of cloud? And as long as the pillar of fire remained where it was, they did not disturb their camp. But the moment God moved that pillar of fire at night, they dismantled the tabernacle, they got their things together and followed that pillar of fire. And when the pillar of fire stopped, They encamped again and erected the tabernacle again. So it's not unusual that a star would guide them unto the place where Christ is. Bethlehem of Judea, not unusual at all. The star did indeed guide them, you see. That's a miracle in verse number 9. And when they saw the star and recognized it to be the very same star they had seen earlier in the east, they were exceedingly great with joy. And they rejoiced because of that. And when they would come into the house where that star overshadowed, they saw the Christ with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Now, tradition tells us that this could have been as long as two years after Christ was born. I don't see that. I just can't find that in the Bible. I'm sure it didn't take nearly that long for these men to make that journey. Not at all i don't know how long it took them to make the journey across the desert i would imagine maybe a matter of several weeks or maybe several months not over that and the idea that this is 18 months or two years after the birth of our lord i haven't found that in the bible so next time you hear that i heard that one day this week Uh, next time you hear that just discount that take it with a grain of salt that's tradition and you don't have any scripture for it i'd rather think that it's a matter of weeks or several months it had uh, uh, be some time consumed for, for them to make the trip all the way from Babylon uh, to Jerusalem. And I would say that time would only be a matter of weeks or months. And they found the Christ child and worshiped him. And, and when they'd their treasures, each of these men, however, how many there were? I don't know, the tradition says three, but you can't prove that either. But they opened their gifts and presented unto him the Christ of God, Three tremendous things that I want you to know. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now why? Why would these wise men bring these three commodities all the way from Persia and Babylon to Jerusalem to present to the Christ of God? What significance does the gold and frankincense have and the myrrh have in relation to the Christ of God? Now that to me it's a very striking relationship and I want you to note it. First of all, they opened their treasure chest and they brought out gold. Gold in Bible typology is a type of divinity, a type of God. Gold is always used in, refer- in reference to God, uh, the Father, the great God of this universe. They brought gold, which is to say that this Christ is indeed God incarnate. These wise men knew that, and they brought the right gift at the right time to the right person, and they brought it by faith. They had not seen Jehovah God. They had not before seen the Christ of God. But when they left ancient Babylon to make that long trip across the desert, by faith they knew that they were going to see the God of heaven in a human body, the Son of God, Son of Man he was. And they were so convinced of it until they brought the goal of divinity to say this indeed is God incarnate. brethren i believe that i say amen uh, to the wise men but if i was a skeptic and an agnostic and i'm not and i'd be ashamed of myself if i were but if i was a skeptic i think this would have some weight to persuade me that these wise men knew what they were doing when they brought that gold to the savior why didn't they bring silver Why didn't they bring some other precious stone? Why didn't they bring some jewel, a diamond, or or an emerald, or sapphire? But they brought gold. Of all the metals in the earth, and of all the precious stones in the earth, they brought gold, and gold in Bible terminology. Everywhere you read of gold in the scripture, it always relates to divinity, to deity. And this babe held by Mary... As these wise men look upon him, indeed is the very Son of God, God incarnate. Now I want to say that out loud. I want everybody listening to me now to know that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, miraculously conceived and delivered by a virgin according to the scriptures. And I bring in my soul today the gold like the wise men have always done. And bring that gold to Jesus Christ. In recognizing him to be God with us today. Did not the prophet Isaiah say his name should be called Emmanuel? Which is being interpreted God with us. And there has never been a time when God is so with the human family, and God is so with the people of Israel as when Mary held that baby in her arms. She was holding the very God of the very God. And so they brought the goal of divinity. And by bringing those gold gifts, they're saying to Mary, you are the mother of God in a human body. That baby you hold in your arm is not the baby of Joseph. That baby you hold in your arm is God incarnate in a human body. That baby you hold in your arm, Mary, is God. Don't you know those wise men accepted the doctrine of the virgin birth? And I'd like to remind you that wise men in 1978 still accept the doctrine of the virgin birth. And nobody denies the doctrine of the virgin birth except the skeptics and the agnostics who don't know God. And so you and I rise up today to bring the goal of divinity and identify that goal with the Christ of God born to the Virgin Mary. And I declare him by preaching to be the Son of God. I declare him by singing to be the Son of God. I declare him by my testimony to be the Son of God, the very Son of God. Not a God, but the God of the universe is Jesus Christ our Lord. And so they brought also frankincense. Now there's a big difference between gold and frankincense as you well recognize. In fact, uh, the gold is the only solid uh, metal or, or precious thing brought. The frankincense is not quite as precious as far as money value or the murrah is not quite as precious as far as money value the gold is the most precious commodity in the world always has been it speaks of god divinity but the frankincense what's that the frankincense was used often in the old testament you remember in the tabernacle uh construction the table of the surebread was in the holy place you've got the table of the surebread and the golden candlestick and the altar of incense. Those three pieces of furnishings in the holy place. Then behind the veil you've got the mercy seat. But in the holy place you've got the table of showbread, bread. And on that table were twelve loaves of unleavened bread. And those twelve loaves were replaced every seven days, every week. Uh, those, uh, that unleavened bread was to be eaten by the priest as they ministered uh, in the tabernacle. They were to enjoy that unleavened bread. You know and I know that unleavened bread is not tasteful. And God knew that the unleavened bread was not tasteful. So in God's economy, he he wrote down in the law that uh, that 12 loaves of bread was to be covered with frankincense. And the frankincense uh, was to cover that unleavened bread to make it desirable and tasteful and delightful to the priest that ministered in the tabernacle. In John chapter number six, we're clearly told that Jesus is the bread come down from heaven. And we're also told in the Bible very clearly uh, that he's a root out of dry ground. And when we see him, there is no beauty nor comeliness that we should desire him. The natural man does not desire Jesus Christ. There's nothing attractive to the natural man about Jesus. You've got a world of sinners in Greenville and in South Carolina that look at me and you strangely and the reason they look at us strangely is they wonder how it is that me and you can go to church and sing out of a hymn book and tithe our income and testify about our faith in Jesus. They say, I see nothing about him that would compel me to do that. And they think it's rather strange that you and I do that. But it's not strange at all that we do that. You see, the only bread they know Jesus to be is unleavened. But you and I like the priests that wait on the tabernacle, and in the tabernacle have tasted the unleavened bread with frankincense. And we can say therefore like David that he's sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. And we can say he's fairest among ten thousand, the bright and morning star. And we can say he's our satisfying potion and the world thinks we're crazy and beside ourselves and the world says we don't understand that while all Jesus is is a root out of dry ground and when we see him there is no commonness nor beauty that we should desire him and I'll agree with you from a human standpoint there is no commonness nor beauty that will make a natural man desire Jesus but once by faith you come to accept Jesus <laughs> Ah, that's a different story you remember the tabernacle in the wilderness had a fourfold cover over the top had four different covers the inside cover was sky blue linen beautiful fine linen and in that linen was embroidered a cherubim a very beautiful angelic creature in many colors embroidered in that inside cover and we looked up with that blue sky color you saw that beautiful cherubim on the inside of the tabernacle. Oh, you say that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Nobody ever saw that except those that went in. The outside cover of the tabernacle was badger skin. And when you walked up on the tabernacle and saw that building covered, you couldn't see the gold in the uh, planks standing around about it because it covered with badger skin. You couldn't see the silver sockets of the foundation because it was covered with badger skin. You'd walk up on the tabernacle out in the wilderness. The only thing you saw is the badger skin, and it was not beautiful. In fact, it was a gray, dark, dull gray. There was no calmness, no beauty. It was a root out of dry ground that badger skin was a root out of dry ground and everybody that walked up on the tabernacle and saw the badger skin said why don't the zoning commission make them tear that thing down look at that junkie thing tear it away it's an insult to our intelligence they say oh yes outwardly there's no beauty no commonness but my dear sir if you'll come on the inside and sit where we look And sit in these (laughs) pews. Amen, Brother Ralph. Yes, I'm glad you've been on the inside, my brother. You come on the inside and sit where we sit. And look at that sky blue linen on the inside. With the angel uh, embroidered in it. It's beautiful. More than words can describe. That's what the frankincense was. Those priests stood around that table to show bread. And ate that unleavened bread. And every time they bit into it, they got a taste of the frankincense. And they could enjoy it with the frankincense. Now I want to say to you that that's what that means in this verse. These wise men were saying, the world will never accept this babe, but we found out who he is. And the frankincense is the blessed Holy Spirit of God that makes Jesus more desirable than the honey and the honeycomb, you see. And that's why we fanatical people by the standards of the world had rather have jesus than to be the king of a vast domain preacher you're beside yourself <laughs> no no my soul i've eaten the bread that jesus is with the frankincense and i never have gotten over it if you ever learn jesus from the inside and taste him with the frankincense you'll never be satisfied with anything less. He's the bread come down from heaven. But he's not just the bread. He's the bread sweetened with the frankincense. And brethren, I want to tell you, that's why the devil can't handle this situation we call the church. If the devil could handle this crowd, he'd have to make Jesus unleavened bread. Now, the devil can never make Jesus unleavened bread, and he has to the world of unbelievers. But if he could ever make Jesus unleavened bread indeed, then the church would die. But once an old sinner like I am gets a look from the inside, we become spoiled of this world, and we'd say, take the world, but give me Jesus. And we'd say, he's lovely more than my heart ever fancied that he could be. He's my satisfying potion. I've seen him from the inside. And the world's only seen the badger skin. But I've seen the inside. And the world's only eaten 11 bread. But I've eaten that bread that he is seasoned with frankincense. And the Holy Spirit makes that frankincense a reality. Amen. These wise men were real wise. showed sure up. And that's why I believe there were saved men. They were not thought to have brought that frankincense otherwise. But they knew what to bring, and so they brought the frankincense. And then the third, they brought the myrrh. Now the myrrh is an embalming material. That's strange, isn't it? An embalming material. These wise men, making that long trip, I can understand the goal of divinity, and I can understand the frankincense of the minister of the blessed Holy Spirit. But where in the world would these men bring myrrh? Later on when this Christ died. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went to Pilate. And, and begged the body. And Pilate granted the body. And Joseph being a wealthy man. Bought linen to prepare his body for burial. And the burial spices and myrrh. Myrrh was used to bury people. Preserve the body. It's a burial compound. It's a burial uh, material. Now in ordinary circumstances for a wise man to walk into Mary and Mary knew what Murrah was commonly used for and here's a brand new eight day old baby uh, several month old baby by this time maybe in her arms and a wise man from the east walk up and give her embalming fluid well that's an insult that would be an insult these wise men would not have been that unwise Now a lot of good things make good gifts but there's some occasions that you just don't give anything. You just don't give anything. Special occasions demand special gifts. I like a lot of things just common things that I'd appreciate. You know somebody gave me a a common instrument I could appreciate that but there's some occasions when you don't give common things. Suppose you went to a wedding uh, 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 reception with a bag of beans in your hands well anybody would appreciate a good bag of black eyed peas but you wouldn't carry black eyed peas to a wedding reception that'd be out of place and it's not ordinarily that you'd go to a young mother with a new baby and put a bottle of embalming fluid in her hand that'd be an insult and that mother would be upset she'd be disturbed she'd be moved if you did a thing like that. But no, no, the wise men knew that that babe held in Mary's arms was destined to die on Calvary. And when they came to Mary and gave Mary that murrah, they were saying, Mary, the Christ you brought into the world in a few days will go to that hilltop. And they'll be nailed to an Oregon cross and die, suffer, bleed, and die for my sin and for the sin of the world. And when they handed Mary the murrah, it was not an insult, but they were saying to her, you brought the seed of the woman God promised in Genesis 15 to pay the sin debt for Adam's fallen race. And your Christ, your boy, your child, your son, well, down the cross to pay our sin dead. And when they handed Mary the murrah, they sang, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When they handed Mary the murrah, they sang, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. Praise God. Wise men. They were not religious men. They were wise men. If they'd been worldly men, they would have brought something else. But God led these wise men to bring that goal to shout down through the ages that Mary's child is God. Those wise men brought that frankincense to tell the world that though he's a root out of dry ground, he's also the fairest among ten thousand, the lily, the valley, and the bride and morning star. And when they brought that mara, they were shouting down through the centuries, this is he, the Christ of God who shall down the cross to pay our sin debt. That's the gospel. How can men deny the Bible when the Bible is as great as that? Man could not have written that. Man would not have thought of that. Only God could have led these wise men to have made that trip and to have brought those gifts and to have worshipped as they did at the feet of Christ. Now, let's worship he, not a baby. No, I, I resent the Roman Catholic emphasis of uh, Jesus as a baby. Or as a child, you go to Rome, you'll see multitudes of paintings and tapestry uh, depicting Jesus as a baby in the arms of his mother. Most of the religious museums of the world have multitudes of pictures and they're mostly Catholic-oriented that show Jesus only as a babe. Now these wise men bowed and worshipped at the feet of a babe. But the gifts they brought looked beyond a baby in the arms of a mother. The gifts they brought looked to God and recognized him as the God that he is. May we stand together. Our Father, we thank thee for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross to pay our sin debt. Unworthy as we are, we recognize that unworthiness but we bless your holy name that Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He came not to live, not to enjoy a a span of life, not to live for Seth or for his family, but he came to die for Adam's fallen race, to pay the sin debt, the seed of the woman that God himself promised in the third chapter of Genesis that one day would come and with his death, Wound and inflict a mortal wound upon the devil. And then when he came out of the grave three days later, he destroyed the power of the devil and made it possible that believers could have eternal and everlasting life. My sins are gone, not because I deserved it, not because I paid a price, but because Jesus paid it all when he died on the cross. And oh God, we worship thee today. And we worship Jesus, Thine only begotten Son, through the good ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is the frankincense to make him more to be desired than the honey and the honeycomb. And we honor Thee for Jesus, our Lord, today. And while our heads are bowed, we shall sing an in invitation song. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.